Well, again, welcome, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at two passages this morning. We're going to talk about this birth of Christ and another apparent paradox to it. Last week, we started on December 1st. Yeah, it's Christmas season, but it felt a little bit like we're just starting. Well, whether you know it or not, we're into it. If you've been out to the stores, Bev and I went out looking for some lights last night at a store, and they're gone. You people bought them all. What are you doing? I mean, we're trying to get ready, but it's already, we're legitimately in the Christmas season. So how are you preparing, uh, preparing for it, but also how are you even now celebrating? Are you celebrating even now? Don't wait for Christmas Eve. Are you celebrating even now or getting ready for it? I remember Dr. Boyce, the long-term senior minister at 10th Presbyterian Church. I found out while I was there serving a little bit in the past, he really loved Christmas. <laughs> Dr. Boyce loved the Christmas season. Uh, his wife, Linda, wrote uh, a forward to a book that was published after Dr. Boyce's death, but it was a collection of, of sermons and reflections from Dr. Boyce about Christmas. But listen to what Linda says about her husband, Jim, the great Dr. James Montgomery Boyce when it came to Christmas. My husband, Jim Boyce, loved Christmas. He loved everything about the Christmas season. For him, celebrating Christmas was an expression of the joy every Christian should feel in remembering Jesus Christ coming into the world to be our Savior. Jim knew that that was indeed something to celebrate. He loved all the traditions of the Advent season. He would go caroling in our center city neighborhood with members of the 10th Presbyterian Church. And he would increasingly support the programs presented by our children in Sunday school. She said this, I cannot remember that he ever grumbled about commercialism. In fact, it was about the only time of the year when he shopped. No one was more the opposite of Dickens' character Scrooge than was Jim Boyce. He loved Christmas. It was interesting, too. I remember when I was serving there on a Christmas Eve, we would prepare for that Christmas Eve service, and we would spend the time in the sanctuary getting ready before we opened the doors to let everybody in. I was standing in the back helping out, and Dr. Boyce came up to me. Jerry, I need your opinion about something. And I'm thinking right away, please, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Don't ask me any theological questions. Just, what do you want to know, Dr. Boyce? Jerry, do you think the lights are dim enough or are they too high? <laughs> I really want this to be such a beautiful night of reflection and celebration. What do you think, Jerry? Do you think it looks good? <laughs> he, the guy loved Christmas and all that it meant. And in, and in his book on Christmas, he contrasted the way we as Christians celebrate this holiday with, with how much the world responds. For many in the world, it really is an excuse to indulge in a kind of a party mentality that involves overeating and drinking. There's nothing wrong with a good party except when it becomes a means to escape rather than to celebrate. Yet there's another way the world often celebrates this season, and it's not always an excuse for hedonism, is it? But it's a time to celebrate or try to celebrate some good parts of humanity. I think the epitome of that theme is found in many of the Christmas ballads that we hear on the radio. Uh, one that struck me as I was preparing was, it's called the Christmas Waltz. 
uh, and has these lyrics. I, still re- I can still hear Frank Sinatra <laughs> singing this. It's that time of year when the world falls in love. Every song you hear seems to say, Merry Christmas. May your New Year dreams come true. And this song of, of mine is in three-quarter times. Wishes you and yours the same thing too. I've probably lost you for the rest of the sermon. If you know that song, you're singing it, right? But it's that joyous kind of epitome of human desire for good. But friends, true followers of Jesus, for that, this season is primarily about the birth of our Savior. And and the celebration centers around the fact that God personally came to this broken and sin-filled world to save people. Our Advent series this year is focusing on this rich, and I would suggest even incomprehensible doctrine of the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. We looked last week at the paradox or the contrast of the origin of this mystery. It had its eternal beginning in eternity. But it came to reality in this temporal world in a manger, born of a virgin. God was now to be with us. This morning, I want to focus on another apparent paradox of this doctrine that I think adds to the beautiful and life-changing mystery of the incarnation. And it's simply this. This, this Christ child birth was not only symbolic, but it was to be the most personal, the most personal gift anyone could receive. Not only was he designed to be with us or among us, but in reality, he was designed to be in us. The God who had come to us was a God who wanted to be in us as well. So let's look at two passages that I think highlight that. First is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And in this section, it's focusing on when they brought this Christ child Jesus to the temple for the necessary and proper sacrifices and commitment of every uh, firstborn child in the temple. And it was in the context of this, this man, this aged man, Simeon, who was anticipating. But look at what Luke records here in verses 27 through 35. Hear now God's word as he, as he reveals that description to us. And, and he, meaning Simeon, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles, And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child 
is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that it is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What was going on here? How do we understand this gift, this incarnation in this context? To understand this context better, we want to look at what it means to have this gift as followers of Christ. The account in Luke, it really centers around Simeon. When the baby was brought into the temple, the baby indeed was like no other and therefore was going to be received like no other. Babies were brought to the temple all the time. It was commanded. But there was something about this baby and how this baby was to be received. Simeon was one of the first people on the spot who saw and recognized him. We know very little about this man, Simeon, except what Luke records in this brief passage. If you look earlier on, he is described this way. Simeon was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now think about it. We really know nothing about this man. We don't know anything about his occupation. We don't know anything about his family or even his status in life. And if we're honest, many of us see, hey, these are qualities we often put a lot of weight on in determining somebody's value. Where, where are you from? What do you do for a living? What's your reputation? Not so with the Lord God. Isn't it interesting that all we know about Simeon, he was the devout man. He was righteous. He loved God. And he was anticipating God. Christmas for Simeon was waiting his whole life for the fulfillment of God's promises. He was definitely living by faith. But it was a holy habit that had a lifelong effect, wasn't it? But he would, Luke would then go on to describe the way, by way of prayer, what this Christ child meant to him and to all of the world. Look again at verse 32. What does Simeon say about this gift, this Christ child? He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's pretty incredible. And for glory to your people Israel. And we also see that Simeon even concludes this prayer by declaring there would be a sad ending for this child and a sad ending for his mother. Yes, adore this baby, but Mary, there's a sad ending coming. That was preparing her as well. You know, it's worth noting here, interesting, John Calvin in his commentary on this section makes an observation about the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, the church at that time. And John Calvin implies most of the people were deaf or blind to the true things of God, even though they were around the trappings of the temple and worship. They were blind to the reality of God, even though they were religiously involved. Can you imagine that? People being around the trappings of the things of God and not seeing God. 
It was so bad, he describes it, Calvin describes it this way. He says this, quote, The evangelist Luke mentions no more than two who recognized Christ at Jerusalem when he was brought into the temple, Simeon and later Anna. Only two people saw Jesus. They were able to recognize him only because the Spirit of God opened their eyes. Yet keep in mind, these two had a life of personal anticipation. But I don't want us to lose sight in this incident that this gift of the babe in the temple was something that had a significant effect on him, Simeon, personally. Yes, the Messiah had come for the world, but he had come for Simeon too. You could almost, could you almost feel the excitement in his soul as Simeon held this gift and received this gift and the fullness of the blessings as well. When Simeon saw that gift, he didn't just look at that babe in the manger or in the temple. What does it say here? Luke records, when Simeon saw that baby, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Can I hold your baby? Mary, may I hold this baby? I don't want to just look at this baby. May I hold your child? And you can almost see Simeon glorying in, in this baby, looking at Jesus intently and walking around and praying and getting all excited. And you can see Mary after about five or ten minutes, hello, can I have my baby back? <laughs> I don't want to let go. This is a gift, and it's for me too. I can't let go, but I have to. Here's your baby back. It was a personal thing to Simeon. He was so overwhelmed with the personal aspect of this salvation as well as the general good news for Gentiles as well as the people of Israel. This gift was not only, friends, to be looked at and celebrated. It was to be personally received as well. But let's look now at that second passage, John's record. Look at John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Hear now God's word. The true light, which gives life to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, as you know, this is not a record of the baby's birth, but I believe it's an even fuller picture of this incarnation, God becoming man. Friends, those of us who are on this side of the cross of Christ and his resurrection, you and I 
have a fuller and more grateful appreciation of just what that gift was at Christmas. One of the many unique things of this first Christmas gift was that well, the way Jesus was described in so many ways, but we see here he was described first and foremost as the true light, which gives light to everyone. Who is this Christ child? He is the light that gives light to everyone. The metaphor of light is one of the most prominent images throughout all of the scripture used to describe the essence of God. You remember in Genesis, those of you who are familiar with that, the creation Almighty God made. What was the first thing God declared when that chaos needed to be organized? Let there be what? Let there be light. Light is significant to begin. And what was, what was the issue going on with the prophet Isaiah? We read that in the Advent season. Prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And finally, from the lips of the adult Jesus, who said of himself, this is how he described himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Oh, friends, the, the gift of the incarnation, this gift of God coming to us as the light, this gift would have a penetrating and personal effect like no other gift. The light, the light of Almighty God would expose the soul to its own darkness and lostness. But that same light would then enlighten the eyes to see the need for this gift of salvation. And finally, this light would give the gift of faith to actually receive that gift personally. It's mine. Friends, this gift of Almighty God that we sing throughout this season, it was a universal gift in the sense that it was one gift that everyone, everyone needed. But not everyone recognized it, did they? Everybody needs Jesus, but not everybody wants Jesus. It's a different world. Look closely at verses 10 and 11. This babe in the manger was at the same time the creator of all things, including you and me. The world and his people in particular were deaf and dumb and blind. They really didn't know God. And I think the paradox of the incarnation gift is this. It's the only gift that could and should be received into the heart and soul. It's not a gift you just display and talk about. It's a gift you personally receive. Friends, those next two verses are critically linked together. Those who truly received this gift in their hearts, they are declared what? What does John say? You are children 
of God. You are intimately related internally to Almighty God. And this decision to personally receive this gift was not the good intentions of any man, but exclusively by the will of God. That means God has a gift for you. If you want it, he will give it to you. And just what was this gift, you might be asking again. Look at verse 14, a classic statement. The word became flesh. It dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The almighty God, high and lifted up, has condescended. He has actually come to live among us. To see him is to see God. To know him is to know God. To receive him is to receive God. Can you get your head around that? Jesus is the Lord God Almighty. Have you ever received a gift, whether it's at Christmas or some celebration or moment in your life and your history? Have you ever received a gift that when you opened it, it literally, almost literally took your breath away? Where you looked at it and said, I cannot believe this. This is incredible. It's one of those things, by that I mean you saw it and you realized it was exactly what you wanted and you needed, and you didn't even know it. <laughs> it kind of caught you completely off. This, I, didn't even, I couldn't put into words what I was looking for, but this is exactly what I wanted. I received such a gift, not at Christmas, but it was at my graduation from seminary some years ago, <laughs> long time ago. And the accomplishment of, of graduating from seminary in itself was an amazing thing for me. If any of you knew me in my younger years, when it came to intense learning and education, only by the grace of God. But we were there as a young family. Bev and I, with our three young children, for four years were struggling to make ends meet, to try to get through this experience, and God was faithful. He was faithful. Yet all along, without my knowing it, my wife, Bev, had been saving here and there, scripting together some money. She had asked her father on the side, who was also a carpenter. Tom Brown was not only a work in the blue-collar world in, in Camden, but he liked to make cabinets, do woodwork on the side. She went to her father and said, Dad, I've collected some money to buy this, this oak wood, which can be expensive. Would you make a desk, a roll-top oak desk for Jerry? She went ahead and purchased the wood, and Tom Brown did the rest. When I came back from graduation, I was escorted into the living room, and there, with a huge red ribbon, was a personally made, homemade, roll-top oak desk by Tom Brown. I just lost it. I couldn't believe this is exactly what I wanted. I didn't even know it. I got this memorable gift from a man who put himself into this desk. And it represented what the Lord had accomplished in my life, and I, didn't, I just couldn't put the words together. It completely caught me off guard. It completely affected my life. Praise be to God for that gift 
I was overwhelmed with gratitude and how it was exactly what I wanted. Friends, it's a gift I will always cherish because of the giver as well as the gift. It indeed, it's a gift I will carry with me for the rest of my life. But it won't accompany me to eternity. I can't take it with me. I'd like to. I can't take it with me. There is only one gift, and that gift is so personal and so real that in itself, that gift will carry me to eternity. And it all started with a baby in a manger. You know, in his book on Christmas, these essays and sermons that Dr. Boyce published, that I mentioned in the beginning, he said this about the Christmas season. He said that in reality, there are two ways to best celebrate Christmas. You want to celebrate it really well this year? You really want to celebrate Christmas? He said the first way is to become a Christian. (laughs) The best way you can celebrate Christmas is by giving your life to Jesus. To receive this gift of salvation and love into your heart personally. Jesus didn't come into the world primarily to make it a happier place centering around his birth. He came to die. He was given the name Jesus because as the scriptures declare, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. The best thing that could happen to anyone at Christmas is to give your life to this babe who is your savior, to be able to say not only is God with us, but because of Jesus, God is truly in us. The other way Dr. Boyce says you should celebrate Christmas is for those of us who have received that gift to be sure to tell others of this precious and unique gift of the love of God. There's a Christmas hymn I'm sure we'll be singing this holiday season. You know it. Go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Friends, let's not wait until Christmas Eve. Let's start celebrating now and let's share this gift of Jesus. Not only has God come and God declared that he is with us, but friends, because of Jesus God is in us. Amen? Amen. And Merry Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful to you that you have come to us. We are grateful that you have come not just to start a movement, but you have come to save a people. And you've given your life, and those who see Jesus, see their need for him, and receive him, You, our God, are not only with us, you are in us. So help us, even this day, as followers of Jesus, to be renewed and reminded that you abide with us because of that precious gift you gave us over 2,000 years ago. And let us be a people who live unashamedly in this season, celebrating the birth of our Savior, who lives in us, that others would see Jesus in us, and be drawn to him. Oh God, do that work even this hour. We pray in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.